G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome back to Series 5 of This Week in Startups Australia. It's 2017, so that means we're well into our fourth year of bringing you interviews with the key entrepreneurs, investors, and mentors in Australia's startup ecosystem. This year, with co-host Claire Connolly, we'll be bringing you more interviews and even more special reports focusing on the challenges and opportunities for startups in Australia. As we have before, we start off this year with Startup Muster CEO Monica Wolf, who will share the results of their newly released 2016 survey of Australia's startup landscape. Then we'll be joined by Elanation co-founders Catherine Marie Pace and Amy Atkins, who are building a lifestyle company for families, beginning with a toy every child will want. We're back, and we're getting stuck into it on this fifth series of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by API Days, Australia's largest conference dedicated to the business and technology of APIs. Twista is also sponsored by Spaceship, where you can invest your super in the tech companies you know and love. Find out more at spaceship.com.au. Since we first launched This Week in Startups Australia, we've been very lucky to get regular visits from the folks running the Startup Muster Survey of the Australian startup ecosystem. It's a snapshot that shows us where we are, where we've come from, where we're going, and what we might need to focus on to get there. And so, as our first guest on the first show of Series 5, Twister welcomes Startup Muster CEO Monica Wolf back to the studio to tell us everything that she's learned in the new survey that they've just released. Welcome, Monica. Ah, thank you for having me. Okay, so... Every year it gets bigger and better. How many people are? Uh, how many people got surveyed this year? So this year we had an overall response rate of two thousand seven hundred and eleven. Um, the big change between last year and this year is that we didn't just focus on startup founders anymore. We mm. looked at people that were thinking about starting a startup mm. who were on like the precipice. They haven't, they've got an idea but haven't launched it yet. And we also tackled the entire supporter ecosystem that surrounds startups. So you've got your direct relationships like your co-working spaces, incubators, accelerators, investors, mm -hmm. but then you've got your indirect ones, which are more like uh, professional service providers, uh, education, private and public, mm -hmm. um, all levels of government. So, um, you know, there was a really um, a large cohort to, to talk to about there. So what made you wanted to take a larger snapshot this year? What was the sort of thought behind that? Well, it's startups are not islands mm. and they they live and breathe and fall off the support that they can receive mm -hmm. so unless we're we're really understanding what's happening in the supporter ecosystem what they're doing what are their challenges and where they want to move to then we we're really not capturing the entire picture so so is this is are we seeing an overall shift is the startup muster starting to reflect a shift about thinking more systemically in general about the startup ecosystem and all of the elements yeah it's about an holistic view and also sustainability. You know, it's all of these factors, all these stakeholders play a vital role and we can't keep on, or we, we shouldn't be thinking about the startup community as being in isolation from the general business community in Australia because it isn't. Mm. We've got 90% of startups outsource um, work. 90% yeah. of startups also outsource to the same people. Right. And 70% of that is done in Australia. 
So there's a sustainability element because we outsource work. It's undertaken by services and businesses in Australia. Mm-hmm. We also, one of the largest segments of that Australian startups target are B2B. So they're developing products and services for the business community. So it's very much interlinked. And, um, you know, we need to start, you know, seeing that these businesses are, are integrated and will become even more integrated into mainstream business. Okay, let's get down into some of the numbers now. What are we seeing sort of as a change maybe over the last couple of years? What are you actually seeing? What are the figures telling you? So there was an interesting one around equity. Um, we saw that this year, uh, at least 80% of startups had um, at least one employee who had equity or um, or options for equity. The year before, it was in the 50s. And of course, this reflects a change in how employee stock ownership plans have been granted. Exactly. And it also how potentially uh, remuneration packages um, and incentives for new employment is um, is dealt with in Australia. Yeah. So well, the law changed, I think, as of what July first last yeah. year. So that would be now reflected yeah. in this. Okay, so that's a really interesting point because that's then something that we can take to government and say you actually did a good thing here, and it's being reflected in the way salaries are being presented. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Another one that kind of relates to some of the more policy changes that have been put through was the fact that sixteen um, percent of startups have um, have employees that are on work visas. So Uh, we're seeing, we've got some data on the 457. Um, And, you know, you might think that 16% isn't that much. But when you look at um, how many, the number, the regular number of employees that a startup might have. That's one out of six employees in a business. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of employees also a lot of startups are still not employing a lot of people. Right. So that could be like literally a third of your entire workforce. Okay, so where are these folks with the four five seven visas coming from? Are they are they clumped in any particular set of countries? We didn't ask that. But that's a good one to ask. Around the countries, we asked more around founders. So 33% of founders were not born in Australia. Which is not untypical to Australians as a whole. Exactly. Um, And there's a a strong correlation, um, not just through Startup Mustard data, but in other areas where you can see that um, entrepreneurship is an avenue for generating income for migrants and and people that are moving to a different country. Um, so we've, we've got some data around that. But yeah, it'd be interesting to know where are they from. <laughs> okay, is the pie starting to sort of even out? I mean, you know, we really came from this world where it was very much clumped in Sydney and then there was a little bit in Melbourne and practically nothing anywhere else. And mm. I know just because I visit these places now that it is starting to spread out. Is that starting to be a, uh, reflected in the numbers? In yeah, the yeah. Like um, 20% of, of the overall responses came from um, startups outside of the major city in their state. So when you t- think about how many um, startup communities there are, even just in New South Wales, we've got ones in Newcastle, Wagga, Albury, um, uh, oh God, there's a, there's a ton, you know, Wollongong, anywhere outside of Sydney, there's quite a bigger, um, and Queensland has the same. They've got a ton dispersed across across the... Um, now, are they arranged sort of where the regional universities are, or is it separate from that? Uh Look, I mean, this is this doesn't isn't really touched in the startup master data, but we could look into that, yeah. and because we've got th- what thirty eight universities in Australia, uh, it wouldn't be hard to look at them across across with our SA two statistical area two. Right. Um, but when we look at places like Newcastle, um, Geelong, yeah. Wollongong, um, even the Sunshine Coast, they have a very strong in, um, innovation sector at their university. Right. Um, 
yeah, it, it, you could see some real correlations. Um, but and Charles Stewart in Wagga, yeah. yes, I'm starting to rattle them off now. Um, yeah. No, that's yeah. a, I would think there would be, particularly because a lot of them, like like Charles Stewart, have multiple campuses yeah. in regional cities, and it would make sense that it, it makes a good argument for the fact that there is a follow-on and a flow-on effect to having those university sites yeah. throughout the country. Yeah, without a doubt. But I mean, also our startup communities, our startups have built and lived without universities around them. Mm. Um, so it would be interesting to look at, is it because of the services that the universities are providing or is it simply because um, universities attract more people, more skills, and those kind of flow on ripple effects of having a large organization right. um, in one place. So, I mean, that's that's something else we could look into. All right. So, so many ideas. If we take out, take out some of the, the, the larger ecosystem, and we've talked about investors before, and I want to come yeah. back to that, but... Let's talk about now all of the incubators. Now that you started to sort of survey the incubators and accelerators, what are you learning about that? Uh, yeah, so um, we got to we got to look specifically at the incubators and the accelerators. Um, very much like what we're seeing with investors and so forth is that you know there's they get a lot of applications mm. and the proportion of applications that then follow through to be actually um, participants is quite low which is normal yeah so we had of the supporter cohort that we surveyed 19 percent identified as being an incubator or an accelerator you know in the last 12 months a considerable amount got up to like 22 percent got between 100 and 200 applications mm -hmm. and the percentage that these applications are usually accepted 60 uh, percent is between one and five percent yeah wow. so you know there is there is a lot of appetite for these incubators and accelerators nice. um and you know it's you know we talked with them what we did is we asked these incubators, do you have a specific industry or theme that you're focused on? 54% mm. of them said yes. Yeah. And when we looked at that, the ones that stood out the most were Internet of Things, MedTech, Artificial Intelligence, FinTech, Agriculture, yeah. Education, um, and then it, c it continues and continues. So, um, you know, they're hitting, they're hitting some of the industries that we're seeing strength from the founder side already, but mm -hmm. also some of the industries that we're don't we haven't seen a lot of strength coming from just yet. So, but because there's incubators, theoretically we will now start to see some strength. Exactly, and that. so that's why it's so interesting to survey the future founders as well and kind of go, okay, well, why are you why are you wanting to get into startups? What's stopping you? And what do you feel you need? All right, so let's talk about this. You, you survey people on the precipice, as you said. Yes. What is maybe keeping them from taking a leap and uh, what would be the thing that helps them make that leap? Yeah, look, the big thing that's stopping them is things like life circumstances requiring stable income mm. um, and Kids having and a mortgage. Yeah, financial dependence. Um, and then there's a little bit around lack of skills, like lack of technical skills. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting to see the things that founders enjoy about their, running their startups were very aligned with what the potential future founders thought they will enjoy about running a startup. Right. So that's kind of like um, ownership of value created, developing new skills um, and those kind of things. So at least the, their intentions or their perceptions of what what they will be undertaking and what they'll be enjoying aligns. Um, but we're, yeah, we're looking at a situation where 
a lot of it is around financial risk and it's managing life circumstances. And risk aversion is not an uncommon uh, dilemma for an entrepreneur, right? I mean, Mm. entrepreneurs are the ones who are, by definition, not risk adverse and are willing to basically put the mortgage and the kids on the line. And, And, you know, I've seen people who have businesses that they could have taken bigger but couldn't because they couldn't throw themselves into it because they have and you know that's it's always a valid decision and it's it sounds like people are actually clear on they're clear-eyed about why they can't make the decision they're not yeah. lying to themselves they're not like oh well i don't can't find investment it's actually no i can't take that risk yeah exactly and but it's not an insurmountable reason not to do it right you know if if we had well let's touch on that because that now comes up brings up the investors what are we learning new about investors this year so investors uh, the thing that really stood out to me is you look at the industries that an investor is interested in and you look at the industries that our startups are working in Mm. and some of them align and some of them don't which ones don't uh so uh, artificial intelligence um so the investors want it and we're not doing it we're, we're just not doing it as much okay so i mean we're taking we're taking two separate cohorts and looking at it so things are relative yeah. but you can see that there's a real appetite yeah well it's, and we're, it's and very we're buzzy right now with yeah, the exactly. investors okay all right um, that's good to know agriculture is another one yeah. um and uh virtual reality augmented reality you know, that, that's, that's very nice to hear. Yeah, there's an, there's definitely an appetite for it. Yeah. Um, but when you look at the proportion of founders that are working on it right now, it's not as high. Right. So um, when you look at the fact that 72% of startups said that they will need additional funding um, to survive, right. then, you know, you think additional funding, well, one of those avenues is, you know, to go after investment. Um, and if you're potentially not aligning with what the investors are interested in, that can make it really tough um so those are some of the things that that we you know how are the investors seeing their strategies did you ask them about that are they seeing are they happy with where the market's going in australia we we didn't ask them what they're if they're happy with it or not uh we asked more around deal flow so how um well that's kind of a way of asking if they're happy so yeah yeah okay so let's talk about that so um yeah, so we had a similar situation as with the as with the incubators and accelerators where they get an inordinate amount of pitches and and rightly so investors are known for only taking on a few at a time. Um, but if there's such a strong focus on investment, mm-hmm. which we saw in the report, there's you know, a lot of the a lot of the startups that haven't gone for investment yet signaled that at least half of them signaled that they just don't feel ready yet, but they will be. So if you know that that demand is probably going to continue because they're not utilizing the other funding sources that that are available, um, then you've got to potentially look at do we need more investors? And we could go further into detail as to, you know, what level of investment as well. You know, do we have a glut of of angel investors, but barely any A grade or right. that kind well, of Well, and in fact, uh, talking to an investor recently, you know, she said, look, if there was a period of time when we needed more seed investment, we've kind of got that covered. Series A, we kind of had covered. It's now more Series B and C. And if you've seen mm. the large funds, so uh, yeah. uh, Blue, uh, Blackbird and One Ventures have gotten basically Series B and C funds going because that's the sense of where the money needs to come in. And when we had the founder of Invoice to Go on here last year, he had to go over to America to get 35 million Series B because there was no place to go in in Australia for it. Okay. 
where can everyone find and i have seen this report this report is so beautiful it will make you cry just it's an infographic rama where can everyone grab this report and download it startupmaster.com all right yeah when are you going to take the wraps off of the 2017 survey? Oh, gosh. I, I literally, I can't wait. So um, right now we're collecting feedback as to um, what we did right, what we did wrong. Mm. Um, there's a couple of questions that I would like to add to it because we didn't ask about disability which I thought was a massive oversight. Mm -hmm. We should have asked around disability. So we've got some additions, some changes, some tweaks. Um, We're looking to do around the same period as we did last year. All right. Well, we'll have you back on the show so that you can spruik that and we can get another... 2700 responses yeah that would be oh hey let's go for 5000 you know okay. let's let's just let's smash it yeah why not right um well, yeah monica thank you very much for being on this week in startups australia thank you for having me hi this is mark pesci i'm really pleased to welcome back api days australia as a sponsor API Days brings together business leaders, entrepreneurs, and technologists to collaborate around building the business models of the 21st century, business models built using APIs. API Days is unique because it covers both the why and the how of digital business, with tracks focusing on business strategies as well as technology and implementation. APIs are the future for every business that wants to innovate and grow and compete in the connected century, and API Days is the event where you learn how. It's in the brand new and really quite beautiful Sydney Convention Center on February 28th and March 1st. Find out more at au.apidays.io slash twista. On Boxing Day, I went to the cinema with a couple of my close friends. They have two boys, they're age 10 and 6. And because it was Boxing Day, basically it was a reverse day. And so the kids could do whatever they wanted, which is why we were off seeing, I think we saw Sing at the movies, which is, you know, a fine movie for kids. And the rest of the time that we weren't actually in the cinema, the boys had been given unrestricted time to play with their iPads, which is really all they were doing. So we're having a fine conversation as adults and the kids are just playing with their iPads. There's nothing very uncommon about that. We see kids get very fixated on all the very shiny gadgets that we've built for them, but it's a problem when that's all they do and that's pretty much what they choose to do when they're given a choice and that's a big problem because inactivity and obesity and childhood go hand in hand today and they didn't a generation ago our next guests have come up with a way to get their kids off their posteriors and out in the world without cutting the digital cord Catherine Marie Pace and Amy Atkins, the co-founders of Ella Nation, have developed a child-centered design that squares the circle between activity and interactivity. Ladies, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you for having us. All right, so what is this incredible thing that you've done that gets kids off their doves? We've uh, we've built a community. Um, We've built a company and a brand um, that's values rely on trust and safety and health for children 
but it's really fun. So our first product to market was the E-Turbo in December and it's a cool wearable which measures steps, distance and heart rate, has a cool stopwatch and a clock, uh, but most importantly it Bluetooth connects to a virtual world for kids. So every step the child takes in the real world it translates into a virtual game advancement for their avatar. Plus they have all these other cool um, elements inside the virtual world where they can unlock videos from famous sports athletes if they hit their 10,000 step goal that day. So um, the E-Turbo and the Alienation app at the moment are just the beginning. Um, we're really branching out to become a lifestyle sports and technology company for families. But at the moment, you're completely right. The, the cause of the problem at the moment is kids and um, the, the iPads and the iPhones, they weren't really designed for children in the first place. But because the kids are born digital natives today, um, they're, they're picking them up, they're learning them to use them really fast. And we thought, well, why don't we build a suite of technology which is designed for the from the ground up for children? So when you say that it's child-centered and it's designed from the ground up for children, what does that mean for your job as product designers, as product creators? Yeah. Um, I guess, well, when we look at the product, I, like my my role is looking at the child's perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's about the child taking control of within alienation. So it's not giving the parents the, the control of how they're going to interact with the devices. And because kids are really sensitive around that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at um, uh, tech that's been designed for kids lately, it's been designed from a parent or a teacher. Right. And unfortunately, kids don't want to be told again what to do right? <laughs> right so do they really need to be told to brush their teeth do they really need to be told to clean their room um they should just be doing that and i think the great thing about elanation is we look at it from the kids perspective and what is going to make it fun and let's be real when we were children we worked on rewards right. i do something i want to be rewarded and so a lot of our premise is educating kids um in an underlying message, but through reward. So they go out and do their 10,000 steps and they get rewarded with things on the on the web like gameplay and video content because let's face it, that's, that's where they're hanging out. All right. So we've had a few companies on this show who have done hardware. And I, mm -hmm. I don't want to sort of step into that because hardware is hard. <laughs> so let's talk about the journey because what you have, and we'll post a photo of this on the Tumblr, is it's an armband that has the little tracker thing inside of it that's Bluetooth connected and does all of the magic stuff. Mm -hmm. But you had to act, I mean, that is entirely your own design, right? Uh, parts of it. Parts of it are white labeled uh, and parts of it are customized. Right. Um, I think hardware is hard if you haven't done hardware before. Right. So my background is in design and engineering. I moved to Denmark, lived there for five years and helped manage the creative director of Bang & Olsen's design studio over there. Um, I taught myself fluent Danish and I learned to interact with the companies like Gil Jensen and Lego um, and of course, you know, Bang & Olsen. Um, in Denmark, they've built international brands and companies based off physical devices. Right. Uh, so I think that hardware is hard if you haven't done it before. Uh, we won um, Best Lifestyle Consumer Technology Company in Beijing last year. Uh, we won an Innovation Award out of Chengdu. We flew to Shenzhen. Uh, we vetted over 20 different manufacturing companies. Uh, we knew what type of quality we were looking for. Mm -hmm. We knew around you know, what, what, the, what children needed in terms of safety requirements, mm -hmm. um, in terms of and durability. Yeah. yeah, and durability. durability. 
Um, so we went over there and um, we had a very defined understanding of the, the parts of the actual product and what we wanted. We knew that as a startup, um, we didn't want to drown in legal patent kind of um, costs. So we decided to not reinvent the wheel. We have a number of drawings um, in the pipeline for other IoT that we'll be bringing out in the future. Mm -hmm. But to go to market, there was a huge gap for a wearable that was safe and healthy mm. and fun for kids. You okay, know, so safe, healthy, and fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so, again, this is that it has to be safe for kids so that the parents are ha happy, healthy for kids so the kids are happy, but mm. fun so that the kids actually use it yeah, and th yeah. that sounds like as a design process that's a delicate balance how do you actually sort of satisfy all of those simultaneously we just love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think it's our complementary skill sets like yeah my background has been um business and technology for adults and amy's has been children's products and entertainment so every single conversation she is you know, making sure we stand for the kids and it's fun and I'm looking at it from a high quality, how do mm. we make a, mm. uh, an international high quality lifestyle technology company um, that, you know, one day will be on the stage with the apples and companies like this because traditionally in the children's industry, you've got a lot of one hit wonders, a mm. lot of cheap knockoffs, you know, a $20 wearable you might throw off out and wear once or twice. Mm. And it's usually because there's this perceived... Um, assumption that children don't care about their brands so oh they're not going to care about that product they're probably going to just throw it out in the end but every kid if you speak to them between the ages of 5 and 13 they know what brand of jeans they wear they know what type of pencil case they've got yeah. um, someone just hadn't built the right brand um, and product market fit yet and it's because yeah. it's because if you see these things as disposable then you're going to create things that don't have a brand experience that people will want to hold on to yeah and they don't lose yeah. their ipads <laughs> <laughs> no so no but it, their mom and dad get really upset if they lose their ipads as yeah well. <laughs> yeah well we've met it's really funny like we've met parents who are like oh our kids lost their fitbit and then they've been given an e-turbo and they don't lose it. All right, so, no, <laughs> but this is an interesting point, though, because in a sense, Fitbit's kind of a competitor. We, we can talk about that some more. But what sure. I really want to talk about is the fact that adults stop using their Fitbits, right? So mm. you're trying to get the kids to do something, which is to continue using the e-turbo, mm. that adults aren't able to do because for some reason the Fitbit isn't quite meeting the needs of the adults for an engaging experience. Yeah. So are you learning something from the kids that they might be able to teach the adults? I think it's just looking at the, like, I mean, where, where do people play nowadays? Yeah. And for kids, it's, you know, they go to school, they wear their watch, um, they want to tell the time, they want to count their steps. So they always want to do that. And from a parent's perspective, the kids, they want their kids to wear a watch so they can tell what time it is mm. to meet them, etc. And then where they're playing online is they're playing on, you know, content with videos and gaming and all sorts of leaderboards and com competitions, etc. So what we focused on was making a platform that had all of that. So other competitors or whatever you want to call them, it's um, generally looking at their stats, you right. know how they're going with their sleep, how they're going with their heart rate, how are they going with their steps daily. But right. we knew that kids don't really want to see that real data every day. Right. They want it to be an engaging experience. Yeah, but it's, I think it's now clear because Fitback, Fitbit has essentially stepped away from hardware. It's just come out this week, right? That 
in fact, maybe adults don't want to look at those either. And so no. maybe what you're doing is framing a new way for us to be able to think about how we interact with these devices. Yeah, definitely. I think in every adult, there's a big kid. And, you know, that's why we love going to the toy section in, well, what used to be, you know, Toys R Us, or even if you're exploring on Amazon, I think every parent gets a bit of a kick out of the next toy they buy for their kid. Uh, we have a lot of people who are at the markets all weekend, and we had so many adults come up and ask if they could also play the game and, and buy the E-Turbo. So I think it's mm. the unlocking of the fun, you mm. know, and taking away this seriousness you know if if you're so serious in your workplace and then you're so serious in your, your everyday like lifestyle bit you're going to get bored mm. so we just make the whole thing fun and whether it's engaging with your parents whether it's engaging with your schools everything we're building is fun from the ground up you're listening to this week in startups australia we'll be right back Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and we're at the beginning of Series 5, and as we do at the beginning of every series, we're looking for sponsors on our podcast. We reach about 5,000 listeners every show. Podcast listeners are very active. They're very engaged. They listen to your ads. They listen to what you have to say. If you would like to become part of the crew who has sponsored this show over its four seasons, please reach out to me, mpesce at gmail.com, and we'll come back to you and we can have a conversation about sponsoring this show. And we're back with Catherine Mary Pace and Amy Atkins of Elanation. All right. Toys. Now, I have some experience in this. This is a different world than the world we think of as tech. It's marketed differently. It's built differently. There are different rules. What have you learned about building something that is easy in the toy market? Good question. Um, I think when you when you look at it, um, you're looking at building the brand. So you've got to look at the what's what's the story behind the brand mm -hmm. so for for toys for instance um they're looking at the characters that are associated it with it and then what is the branding behind that um so for elanation we looked at well yeah what are we building and not considered a toy we wanted to make sure that we were a lifestyle tech company but mm -hmm. we had that fun aspect of making sure it was a kid fun brand so we looked at um, the creating the characters surrounding Elanation and making sure it was fun so the kids go in and create their avatars and then get associated so they know every time they come into Elanation, they have their set characters that they can pick from. And from there, we'll obviously be able to roll out the brand. When you're working with kids and you're creating environments for kids, there's got to be this very big emphasis of safety and security, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise, it's, it's not so much. I mean, the kids will may, may get freaked out, but the parents just won't go near it. So how do you actually both provide that and also communicate to the person who's actually making the purchasing decision that this is a safe and secure product for a kid to use? Yeah. Um, the first part of your question is really interesting. We were really passionate mm. about building a platform where you could retain your personal identity mm -hmm. but still participate in this community and when you get to the age of 30 13 you can just sort of like clock off if you want right. um so to begin with you know we don't take um personal information about any of the children every child gets to come up with a fun avatar's name um, but every kid gets a loyalty card which you know has a number on it so we know um you know, that, that loyalty card gives them benefits in various ways, but it helps us sort of keep track with various IDs. 
Um, so in the first instance, you know, in terms of security, we just we didn't take any personal information. So there's nothing to steal in that sense. No, and there's no GPS tracking. Mm-hmm. You know, kids aren't interested. If you look at it from a kid's perspective, they're not interested in being GPS tracked. Um, as because well they as... know where they've been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's. Uh, we kind of omitted that as well. So if there was a security breach, you know, it's it wasn't something we needed to fit, really focus on in the first six months of the company. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are parents that come to us and say, oh, in the future, you're going to do a, a beacon or a GPS tracker. And maybe we will integrate it in another kind mm-hmm. of product. But it wasn't a priority feature in the eTurbo when we first went to market. Um, but secondly, like, you know, we just had big pen tests done by a big company on our website. Okay. and. Um, we definitely look at all their SSL certificates and make sure everything's certified. So we have that and in our next cap raise um, in mid this year, you know, there is a part of budget that'll definitely go towards governance and security for the platform. Um, Trust is something, it's a really important value for our company and um, we're gonna make sure that we really build a trusted software, you know, tech hardware platform for children and families around the world. let's, Let's now ask some business questions. Are you selling globally or just in Australia? Today we've only launched in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and then later in the year we'll go into the USA market, which is fifteen times the size, and so is going to need all of all of that. Lots more up. money. Lots <laughs> more. All right, so yeah. you're going into the, the sort of the largest consumer lifestyle mm-hmm. tech market in the world. Um, how much money, if you can talk about this, have you raised to get to where you are right now, so to be able to get to the MVP shipping? I yeah. Just, we can't, uh, it's undisclosed, so um, we can't say how much we raised to date, but uh, we can say that we were oversubscribed okay. um, and we only took what we needed to get through the first 12 months. We knew mm. that, um, we knew what we were doing, we knew what we wanted to achieve, and we knew that within 12 months we could illustrate um, a lot of value. And um, and so now that you've shipped product, are those investors all your biggest fans? And yeah. Want from all <laughs> yeah. Well, hitting hitting yeah. KPIs is always a very nice thing for an investor to see, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and so you're going out for another raise now? In uh, June. So officially the hat for um, a Series A will happen in about a month's time. Mm-hmm. So we're just setting up a lot of processes in Australia to sort of scale out marketing here. Uh, and then at that stage, there'll be a few trips to America and China. And will you be looking for money here or you, will you be looking for money overseas? We'll be looking money for money from sophisticated investors who have taken businesses of our stage Um through you know to a series b at least or Mm -hmm. potentially future ipo um we're definitely looking for investors who have sort of been there done that potentially have had experience with hardware um and also who have had experience with the children's industry Mm. you know you talked a little bit about what did we learn about uh, in building a toy Mm -hmm. and what you learn about is that the habits of a family are very different Um, the purchasing behavior is different Mm -hmm. the um, time that they clock in and out of an app is different so your expectations have to change um, in relation to what's normal or considered normal uh, for that industry so if you've invested in a company that traditionally pushes fitbits your engagement cycles are going to be very different because the child engages you know you can see them clock on at 3 4 p.m every afternoon because that's when they get the game time yeah Yeah. you know so if you have another form of expectation which is associated with a different target market then it doesn't it's not realistic okay so you know you've you've talked about this as a lifestyle for the family company yeah can you share with us what does that actually mean yes the kids are now walking around with their e-turbos but what does it mean when mom and dad and the dog 
<laughs> the equivalent of this. What does that actually start to look like? Um, well, we're actually what we what we learned with building the eTurbo is um, obviously our focus was on the children and what their expectations were from the product and what they wanted to gain. And what we also realized is, you know, f f being a family unit, they mm. also want to learn how their kids are going. So if they're at school, when they're at after school care or sport or even sleeping, they want to know, are they sleeping okay? You know, they're kind of always worried about the what ifs. Um, we also learned that through our beta and um, also launching is that there's a lot of separated families. So you're looking at 52% of the Australian population um, and in divorce. And so what we found was building a brand for families, it meant that it doesn't matter if you're with your mom or your dad, we've got a product that will help build the kind of the connection between your child and your family unit. So we're looking, we're in the process of building out a parents app that basically allows the parent to be involved, but not dictating. Like we said before, we don't want to ever dictate to the child. We want to make sure that Elanation is always a fun and happy place for a child to be a part of. So with the parents' experience, they'll be able to see how the child's going with all the raw data that the kid doesn't need but, necessarily. But you could see mom calling dad going, you're letting the kid sit in front of the TV. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I can see him eating the popcorn too. He hasn't, he hasn't moved in three days. Yeah. What's he doing? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is the whole thing with, you know, when we all grew up, um, there weren't devices. Yeah. So we were always playing outside and, you know, the bell would ring and you knew you had to come home. Yeah. And unfortunately, families are really different today. Mm. Um, so this allows us to kind of bring back what we've got brought up with, like sitting at the dinner table, helping mum and dad cook. So bringing in all those elements to making it a fun, healthy family experience is something that we're really focusing on and looking at. So there'll be elements within that within the parents app and also elements within that within the kids experience as well. And are there, is there more hardware? Are there more devices in your future? Heaps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And look, we won't, you know, for all the investors out there that are cringing because they're like, oh, hardware. Um, <laughs> Hard, right? You know, yeah. There's a, you know, look, there's, in, we, we saw that in 2020, you know, there's going to be, what, 50 billion IoT devices. And there's enough companies out there building mm. novel IoT. So we're not going to reinvent the wheel. If you've invented a connected, you know, ball, we're going to talk to you and yeah. we're going to partner and we're not going to build it from scratch. Um, we're just going to plug you into the ecosystem and we're going to build out another virtual world that's connected to that because we've already built the platform for it. So, mm. you know, we're talking about in the parents app with you know Fitbit's got its API so we'll pull in that data the parent can compete against the kid and they don't need to buy the new e-turbo so it's it's a real platform play um, and there's we've we've really thought long and hard around the business strategy and the um, the platform that we're building so that it's flexible because you go to the CES um, conferences and mm -hmm. you can see so much kitsch stuff come Ugh, in and out and so die. Much. Yeah. yeah, but it's because it doesn't have a meaningful connection to a habit that you already have in your everyday and it doesn't solve a real problem. Um, and everything that we do has to solve a real problem, you know, and what we're building out at the moment, we've already got parents writing in through our Facebook page asking for the products that we're currently building out. So it's, yeah, that's a great affirmation that we're kind of on the right track. Mm. Catherine, Amy, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you for your time. Thanks.
Listening to Monica Wolf share all the findings from the Startup Muster, you get the sense that Australia's startup ecosystem is enjoying a period of robust, maybe even rude health. But that's not something we should take for granted. In the last year, we've seen innovation policy come and go. We've seen ministers come and go. We've even seen governments come and go. And 2017, all indications are it's going to be a weird year for business. Fortunately, startups thrive on uncertain times. Even as Fitbit falls back from their hardware products, Ellen Nation steps forward with products designed to serve a market that's been ignored or simply misunderstood. That's the kind of innovative thinking we need to keep our startup system going strong. Big thanks to Twista sponsors API Days and Spaceship. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Wormuth and AnalogCabin.net for hard work creating a podcast that's a joy to listen to. Thanks to Monica Wolf, Catherine Mary Pace, and Amy Atkins for making time to come on our show. Now, just a reminder to visit our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com to find the Startup Muster Report, photos of our guests, links to the other podcasts. That's twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Claire Connolly and I will be back in a fortnight with a special interview with one of Australia's most innovative politicians. Until then... This is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.